The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Merry Christmas. I want to welcome everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. May His grace and His peace be upon you. We here at The Springs are a church that's being transformed to the image of Christ so that anyone can find the way to God. We do that three ways, by gathering in, in the name of the Father, by growing into the image of the Son, and by going in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we gather here this Christmas Eve, celebrating and awaiting the arrival of Jesus, we want to say, God's peace his love, his joy, and his fellowship be with you. We're in our Advent series. It's a fourth Sunday. And our text this morning is not your usual Christmas text. But it speaks in unexpected ways to us. So our text this morning is from Romans chapter 16, 25. Through 27. The word of the Lord says this Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim to you, the message that I proclaim about Jesus in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word. And we give you thanks that your word arrived in the world in the form of a child, and reveal to us who you are and who we are, who we might be. So this morning we give you thanks. And we ask, as always, for ears to hear, for hearts to follow, for lives and bodies that will obey. And God, I ask for the gift of preaching. It's the name of your word to us, Jesus. We pray. Amen. Christmas is full of revelation. Every year we do a gift exchange in our family instead of trying to figure out how if we're going to afford to buy gifts for everybody that we do a name draw and we secretly draw a name of someone in our family. So on Friday night, we actually exchange those gifts. So I was at my parents' house with my family and with, uh, with my brother and sister-in-law and with a bunch of relatives, and we started exchanging gifts. And it's our tradition that we don't open them all at once, that we go in order, and usually it goes from youngest to oldest, and then you repeat. You go in that cycle. Well, I'm sitting next to Kim, and it's her turn to open her gift. And she opens the gift, 
and with great joy says this, noise-canceling earphones. That's exactly what I needed. To which I turned her like this. I was a little offended. What do you mean exactly what you needed? Then it was my turn to open my gift. I unwrap my present. I look at it. And I said, noise-canceling earphones. And I turned to Kim and I go, that's exactly what I needed. <laughs> Christmas reveals to us excitement and joy for things that we need, for things that we hope for. But Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus and the birth of a baby, thinking about the birth of a baby, the birth of a child reveals a lot as well. Not just excitement and joy, but challenge. I remember when we were pregnant with Eli, and one of my good friends had a young child, and it was, I was over at their house, and he was going to change their diaper. And he looks at me with a smile, and he goes, Hey, come over here. You need to practice this. You need to get ready. To which I said, No, thank you. I'm going to get plenty of practice all on my own with my own kid. So Eli was born at like two-something in the morning, which was wonderful. And then we finally went to bed. At about 4.30 in the morning, as I'm on the couch in the hospital room and, and Kim's in the hospital bed, and Eli, I think, is, is sleeping in the little, the little bed that's next to her bed, Kim wakes me up and she says this. She says, I think, I think Eli needs to be changed. And being what I thought was a good husband and a good dad, with my eyes not being able to open, I respond, well, do you want me to call the nurse to come do it, or would you like for me to do it? Which I thought, surely she's going to have me call the nurse. Please, Lord, let me call the nurse. Call the nurse. To which she responds, no, you should do it. Well, I'd been asleep for like an hour, and not only did I stand there in one of those, you know that feeling like, <laughs> I cannot wake up, I cannot get my eyes open, I cannot focus, I can't, I'm barely alive. That all of a sudden I realize I don't have a clue what I am doing. Maybe I should have practiced. Christmas is about revelation. At the arrival of Jesus, there are some things that are revealed. Romans, Romans 16 says this again. It says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles may come to obedience that comes from faith 
to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's one thing that I think often gets missed in Christianity today. Or it doesn't get emphasized. But the Christians, for since the time of Christ, have emphasized. It's this idea about in Jesus Christ, revelation happens. And here's what doesn't get emphasized enough. But this is what early Christians believed. Is that in the birth of Jesus, when God reveals in Jesus Christ, Christian says that is salvation. That salvation has come today, Christmas Day. And that salvation is this revelation. In fact, that Greek word, apocalypse, apocalypsis, which is where we get from the book of Revelation, that's the word. Usually we think of an apocalypse as like the end of time. But in the Greek, what that actually means is an uncovering or unveiling or revealing. And this is why oftentimes Scripture uses metaphors in relationship to salvation like a light has dawned. Or the metaphoric, their eyes have been opened. Or some knowledge has been revealed. It's because in Revelation, when something is uncovered or when something is revealed, it changes something. Or at least, if it doesn't change what's already actually there, it changes us. It changes how we perceive the situation. It changes how we understand what's happening. It changes our own awareness of reality. It changes how we relate to who God is. And Christian says, that's salvific. And the two major ways that Christians have understood Jesus, at least two big ways, they understand what Jesus reveals, is one, that Jesus reveals who God is. That our eyes are opened, that a new light is dawned, that a new understanding of who God is, is revealed in Jesus Christ. That at the birth of Jesus, it's uncovered. The mystery from long ago is uncovered and God is revealed. But the second thing is not only does Jesus reveal who God is, Jesus reveals to us what it means to really be human. Because early Christian says that Jesus is fully God and fully human. And so Romans says through the prophetic writings, this revelation has come about that talks about Jesus and it comes about fully in Jesus Christ. So I want to explore a little bit two other Advent passages that are the two Advent readings for today that are in the lectionary, that we're following during the season of Advent. The first one comes, uh, 2 Samuel, and the, le- the next one out of Luke 1. And we'll talk about how they're connected. So 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 11 and 16 says this. After the king 
King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in your mind, go ahead and do it. The Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build for me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Whenever I have moved with all the Israelites that I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built for me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and I have, and, and I have done ever since that time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. And I will also give you rest from all your enemies. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now in this story, David is resting in his house and he turns to Nathan, one of his advisors, and he says, look at me here. I'm in this grand house. I'm in a palace. And the Ark of the Covenant, this wooden box covered in gold that has God's commandments in it and that represents the very presence of God, it's outside in a tent that we move around all day, all the time. And so David proposes in 2 Samuel to build God a temple. And Nathan ironically replies, whatever you have in your mind, go ahead and do it, for God is with you. And then that night, the word of the God comes to Nathan. And it says this, Nathan, go tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build for me a house to dwell in? Have I not dwelt in a house? Have I not dwelt in a house from the day I brought you out of Egypt to this day? I've been moving from place to place with a tent as a dwelling wherever I've moved with the Israelites. Did I ever say to any of the rumors, rulers who commanded, who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a, for me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, tell the king this, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending flocks, and I appointed you ruler 
over all my people of Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. In the prophetic writings, we get a sense in this story that is connected with Luke 1. We get a sense of who God is. It says that I took you from the past. It is not us that goes and takes God. But it's God that comes and takes you. In other words, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that delivered you. I'm the God who saves. Jesus is from the Hebrew word Yeshua, Joshua, which means Savior. Then in Jesus Christ, it reveals something about who God is. God reveals, he says, I'm Savior. Not that I... Not that I brought you out of Egypt, I brought you out of pasture, I brought you out of sin, I brought you out of death. God is Savior. But then God says to Nathan, not only am I Savior, he said, I also appointed you. It is not you that appointed me, it is I that appointed you. And so he's the God who appoints not only does he take us and save us from sin and death, he got, he's the one that establishes us. He's the one that secures us. He's the one that gives us identity and purpose and meaning. He appoints. In fact, this is why he's named the Christ, the King. He has that authority to appoint. And finally, not only did he take you, save you, not only does he appoint you, but last he says this, I'm the God that is always with you. Wherever you go, I go. And this is why Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. This is like Christmas morning in opening up the gift and saying, this is exactly what we needed. Not only someone to save us and to secure us, but a God that's going to be with us. Wherever you are today, God is with you. If you're in the valley or you're up on the mountaintop, God is with you. If you're in a land of plenty or in a dry and weary land, God is with you. If you're experiencing deep grief or pain or suffering or if you're just overjoyed, God is with you. If you're just in a mundane, normal, everyday boring stage of life. God is with you. Second Samuel 7 
It's connected with Luke 1. Because both of them go together because they both recite the promise of God to establish his kingdom through David forever and ever. And so Jesus, while Jesus reveals who God is to us, the God who saves us, the God who appoints us and establishes us, the God who is with us, Jesus also reveals something through the prophetic writings about who we're meant to be. Luke 1, 26 through 38 says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him a throne of his father's David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Mary is a young woman pledged to be married to Joseph, who is a descendant of David. This is why these two connect. But like David, Mary is taken by God. It says, God says, you are highly favored. It's not Mary that chose God, but it's God that chose Mary. And like David, she has been appointed. She is to become the mother of the king in the line of David. But unlike David, she is not high and mighty and powerful, but she's a lowly servant. She's not even in the bloodline of King David. It's her fiancé who has David's blood. She's actually not important. She's actually very lowly, like a servant. But here's what David and Mary have in common, which gives witness or revelation to who Jesus reveals about what it means to be human, is that they're both obedient. In Romans, it says this. It says that the good news about Jesus has been revealed so that all might come to the obedience that comes from faith. In other words, it says this. 
Obedience comes from faith. Or, you could also talk about it this way. Obedience that is faith. Because for Paul in Romans, and the way he understands the gospel, is that obedience not only, it can only come from faith, that obedience is what faith looks like. Those two things are interchangeable. And this actually shows us what it means to truly be human. Because if you notice Mary's response, she responded this way. She says, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Here's what it looks like to be truly human. When we get a picture of this through Mary as a precursor, or as someone foreshadowing what it looks like in Jesus Christ. The first thing is this. She says, here am I. What it means to be human is to be present with, to be available, to be open to God. There's nothing that makes you more human than to be open and available to God. To say, God, I am with you. Not because you first said that to him, because God first says that to us. I am with you. And what it means to be human, it's to say, here I am, God. The second thing, that Mary says is that I'm a servant of the Lord. That what it means to be truly human is to have a posture or a disposition or a mindset or an understanding of your role in relationship with God. It's one of servant. To be a servant is what it means to be truly. And finally, Mary says this, let it be with me according to your word that you're fully present, open, and available to God, that you take a demeanor or posture or disposition of servanthood, and you say, God, let it be, according to your word, obedience. This is how Jesus comes into the world. This is how Jesus is in the world. This is what Jesus reveals about what it means to truly be human. He says, here am I. I'm available. God, use me. He says, God, I'm your servant. He takes this posture, this, this disposition, this understanding of who he is, this whole demeanor. And then he says, not my will, but yours be done. Let it be done according to your word. Jesus shows us he reveals to us what it means to truly be human. So the good news that is revealed in Jesus is this. Is that in Jesus Christ, Jesus reveals who God is. He is the God who saves us. He saves us. 
from sin and death. He saves us not from only from all the things that we have done. He has saves us from all the crummy things done to us as well. He is Savior. In Jesus Christ, God reveals that he's the one that appoints us. He's the one that designates, establishes, secures. He gives us identity and a future. And in Jesus Christ, he reveals that God is actually with us. Wherever we go. No matter what season of life you're in, whether you're in a good season or a rough season or just an absolutely normal, boring, mundane life season, He is Emmanuel, God with us. And He not only reveals who God is, He reveals who we are to be. He reveals that we are to say, God, I'm here. What it truly means to be human is to be open to God, to be available, to say, here I am, use me. It means taking a disposition or a posture of servanthood, not asking what could be done for me, but what could I do to serve? Not only the people that are sitting around me, but in my neighborhood, in my city, around the world. And finally, he reveals to us what it truly means to be human is to say, God, let it be done according to your word. Obedience. Christmas reveals a lot. It reveals what we need, a God who's a savior, who appoints and who's always with us. And it also reveals some unexpected things, maybe some challenging things. That our, our own conceptions about what it means to be human that Mary says this, be available to God. Be a servant. Be obedient. And that Jesus reveals to us who God is and who we are to be. He's available to God. He's an attitude of servanthood. And he's obedient. This is what Jesus reveals. When we come to these tables, this is a revealing moment. For at this table, we find Jesus Christ, the one who shows us who God really is and who he's calling us to be. Come to the table.